at this point, if it wasn't so sad, it would almost be comical how Drake May and the North Carolina Tar Heels just simply aren't getting the national attention they deserve. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, November 14th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or your first watch every single day. Please don't forget the show's free and available anywhere you get podcasts, so subscribe right now to make sure you don't miss a second of your team every day. This episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss tomorrow night's matchup between UNC and Gardner-Webb on the ACC Network right there on Sling. Sling, the TV you love for the price you love. Try it today. All right, Carolina is coming off another victory in football on the road. It's simply insane. So what we want to do today is look at what's next because there's all sorts of stuff ahead. Got a great question on Twitter about it. We're going to address that. want to look at the three plays of the game that I thought had a major impact on it. But I want to start by talking about what I said in the cold open. Just how, how should we be rightly, correctly thinking about Drake May? How should we rightly, correctly be thinking about these Tar Heels? Because I feel like people just don't know how to think about it. And I want to talk about it. So first off, let's talk about the Drake May Heisman noise. Thankfully, it it legitimately now is gaining some national traction. and, And you're hearing about it from different pundits. But it took infinitely longer than it should. I would like to continue to stay on record as saying that I was seeing the things that would lead to what you need back in games one and two of this season um, and have just been saying it and saying it and saying it. And finally it's here. So I tweeted something on Saturday night after the game that I just felt was applicable. So let me read that here. I said, Drake may doesn't have to be your Heisman front runner. Drake may does have to be in the conversation. Drake may does have to be invited to NYC. And I'll add a little bit more to that in this context than I did on Twitter. Drake may doesn't have to be your Heisman front runner, but I believe he should be. Drake may doesn't have to be, or Drake may does have to be in the conversation. And I would say Drake may needs to be in the top tier of that conversation. It's he, CJ Stroud, I, Hendon Hooker, Blake Corum, like, that's the top couple, but every time that conversation comes up, the name Drake May should be uttered. If not, then it is, quite frankly, not appropriate, and people are looking at uniforms and not production for for their team. Um, And so, listen, one of the truths about the Heisman Trophy is that while it is supposed to be based on like one year's worth of work or one season's worth of work, there is kind of this um, lifetime achievement award to it. If I can use that uh, thing that you see in like Oscar award ceremonies and stuff where uh, a player who's been around a couple years might get some more love, but you cannot look at what Drake may has done this season and not take that to the bank. I don't don't even need to continue to run through his numbers. Although he continues to up the game, for example, having his first career 400 yard passing game against Wake Forest. I mean, it's just 
absolutely ridiculous. Continues to rank at the top of the sport in so many different statistical categories, not to mention who he is as a competitor, um, all of these things. So, yes, if if you end up voting for somebody else, if, if the Heisman Trust ends up picking someone else, I can understand it. But Drake May has to be part of that talk. And it's not just the ridiculous stats, and they are ridiculous. It's also the fact that the Tar Heels are winning. It's similar to like an MVP award in sports or the National Player of the Year in basketball for the Naismith Award. Um, a lot of times it's not just that you are a phenomenal player, but it's also that your team is having a great season. And that's exactly what's happening. Not only that, but you remove Drake May from this team. I mean, we we don't know what Jacoby Criswell would have been, but this team is not 9-1 and one without Drake May. All due respect to Criswell, all due respect to the rest of the team. It's just the fact of the matter. And so the fact that North Carolina is winning, that matters in this Heisman candidacy as well. And that has to come, um, has to be part of that conversation. Now, um, as for the Tar Heels and people like, yeah, they're nine and one, but look at who they've played and look at how they've won or how they haven't won, you know, like how they haven't blown people out. Um, six of those nine victories are road victories that are all by one score or less. Okay, great, fine. But they've done it, right? Like at the end of the day, the only time North Carolina has ended a college football game this season and not had a higher score on the scoreboard was against Notre Dame. They've done everything else that needed to be done. And there's got to be something to be said for that. If not, then then what are we doing? So now I know North Carolina is continuing to move up somewhat in both polls, 13th now in the AP poll, 11th in the coaches poll. We wait to see the new CFP poll coming out um, tomorrow on Tuesday. But man, I, I, I just don't see how you can keep out or, or not not talk about more consistently and with more respect a team that is in the ACC championship game has already solidified a spot with two games in the regular season yet to go a team that is undefeated in conference undefeated on the road and like like there needs to be more national respect for the Tar Heels not only that Tar Heel fan base there needs to be more respect in honor for this team than there is amongst the North Carolina fan base. I don't know why there's all this bemoaning and, oh, why can't they do more and the defense be better, yada, yada, yada. Well, guess what? How many times in your life have you seen a North Carolina football team go 9-1? and one? What, How many times more do you know that you're going to see it? Like there was all, I'm already hearing talk, man. I can't wait till next year. I can't wait to see what Drake may does in his sophomore year. Well, there's no guarantees that next year, either Drake may or the team's going to be any better than they are right now. Think about going into Sam house junior year. We, everyone thought that would be his glorious, uh, riding on a pony Heisman ride. And then he would ride off into the NFL, uh, you know, top of the first round of the, no, None of that happened because that's not guaranteed. So just enjoy this year for everything that's happening, what it is and what it still can be, right? The, the rest of the season is not yet finished being written. So folks, enjoy it. They're winning games. There's no guarantee of when this will happen again. So just live in the moment. 
just a couple other quick things about what's happening. Josh Downs just continues to be absolutely ridiculous. Even in a game like this where he was in and out with cramps um, and, and struggling, three first half TDs. Uh, it's a career high in for TDs in a game for him, <laughs> let alone a half. Over 100 yards in the game. 154 in total. It's the first time in his career he's had four games in a row with 100 receiving yards. Um, and despite missing two games, he's still among the national leaders in both receptions and touchdowns. Second in career touchdown receptions for Carolina now. Just what Josh Downs is doing is otherworldly in basically two full seasons. Like, Un, un, unreal. Make sure you appreciate that. Final thing I want to mention in our opening part of the conversation today is Carolina finally broke their trailing at the half streak. Remember, they had been trailing at the half in the past three games. Did not do that, although they were once again trailing in the fourth quarter. That's happened a lot as well. But now there's a new streak emerging. If you've been listening to me this football season, you know I've been talking a lot about Carolina's red zone efficiency. Well, it continues to go down, and the reason it continues to go down is because they keep ending games in victory formation in the red zone. It's literally three straight games that the Tar Heels have taken a knee in the red zone to end a game, and, and they did it against Florida A&M. So four of the there's only six times they've been in the red zone this season where they didn't score. Four of them are because of victory formation. The other two are just because they went for it on fourth down in the red zone. There was a, a fourth and one on Saturday against Wake Forest, and there was a fourth and four against Miami, and they just didn't score. And that happens sometimes when you're aggressive and you go for it on fourth down. If Mac Brown was kicking field goals, we wouldn't have that part of the conversation either. So it, it's just so funny. Carolina is having a phenomenal year in the red zone. It's just they keep getting into a funny spot there at the end. Well, next, I do want to go into talking about what I thought were the three plays that were very highly impactful in this game. Before we get there, though, and before I share that with you, which, by the way, I'd love to hear your three most impactful plays, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Upside. Inflation has us all thinking about different ways to cut back, whether it's driving less, dining out less, whatever. It's just hard to cut back, but we have to because of inflation. And so that's where I started using Upside. For me, I use it every time I go get gas. And so for me, that's meant I don't have to cut back quite as much because I've saved so much money on gas back. So I just absolutely love what Upside is doing. How do you do it? Well, to get started, you download the free Upside app, use my promo code LOCKED, and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. And then you claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, you check in at the business, and you pay as usual, credit card or debit card, and then you get paid. In comparison to other credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn up to three times more cash back with Upside. Download this for free on the Google Play Store or the App Store uh, and, and use this free Upside app when you make your first purchase of $10 or more to get $5 or more cash back. Again, that's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. 
Also, let me remind you that for your second listen today, we'd love you to check out Locked On Sports Today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts that and insights that only Locked On can provide for you. Locked On Sports Today. It's available on YouTube, on the Odyssey app, and wherever else you get podcasts. All right, I want to share with you what I thought were the three most impactful plays of this game. First, I'm actually going to start with with what ended up being the most important was Cam Kelly's interception. Now, let's start by saying that Cam Kelly has had some tough times this season. He has struggled at times with tackling, struggled at times with angles, as he did, in fact, earlier in this very game against Wake Forest. It's just part of what happens in a secondary these days. You're not always going to get it right. Um, But in this moment, he did. Let me set the scene. Let me set the context because I believe that that's very important to how important this play was. North Carolina at this point is down one, 34 to 33. There's under five minutes left in the game. Time is running short. Things are looking a little bit bleak. Carolina in their past two series has been stopped at the one on fourth down. We were just talking about that a second ago. And then on their most recent series before this, they punted. Um, Wake has moved the ball. They're into North Carolina territory. And then it's second and eight. And then here comes this play where Cam Kelly just swipes across, darts back up the sideline, gets it um, in into Wake Forest territory for North Carolina to be able to move into position to get what's hopefully a, a go-ahead and, and potentially game-winning score. And that's exactly what happens. The interception is the play I want to point out, but the very first play from scrimmage is a 43-yard bomb to Josh Downs, who again had been in and out um, all the way down to the Wake 5. Carolina has to ultimately settle for a Noah Burnett field goal instead of a touchdown. But when you're only down one, that's more than enough. And as you now know, that ended up being the game winner for this game. All set up from Cam Kelly's great uh, play on this interception. So that's play number one. Play number two was a, a play early in the second half. I pick it both because of the context and because of the play itself. This uh, play was a pass from Drake May to J.J. Jones on a third and seven on Carolina's first drive of the third quarter. Once again, let me, um, I just said, I picked this play because of the the context, what's going on, the situation, and because of the play itself. Carolina was getting the ball to start the second half. That's this drive. And so they had had one of those great two-for-one opportunities, you know, like score at the end of the first half, score at the beginning of the second half, kind of flip things around. Well, they had failed to score at the end of the first half. And so it's like, man, we now really need to be able to score at the beginning of the second half. You're up six. Noah Burnett had missed his first extra point of the season. And so you'd really love to score again and put some separation between you and the Demon Deacons. That's what's trying to happen here. Um, Carolina gets a first down and they need to keep things going. Got to go get a score. And it's third and seven. So you're like, man, going to have to punt and you'll have wasted both the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half, both of these opportunities. Um, But thankfully, it's third and seven, and then there's the Drake May of it all once again, and that's why we pick this play. It's a great example of why he's having the year he's having, why people project him out 
the way they do to the next level. Uh, third and seven, he's got just such good pocket awareness and pocket movement. He slides over to his left, slides up um, in front of the pocket, but not past the line of scrimmage so that he can still be able to pass. Always looking up, always looking downfield. Ultimately finds J.J. Jones coming back across, picks up 25 yards on the play, and Carolina is in business. Now, ultimately, the drive stalled out and they had to punt, um, but it was great to have seen it continue at that point on that third and seven, just picking up some momentum. And it was just one of those dynamic, phenomenal Drake May plays. If you didn't, if you don't remember it or didn't see it, please go back and watch this play. Now, the third play I want to point out was Antoine Green's catch early in the game. It was the second drive of the game. Carolina's up seven, which is great. That's the absolute start you need on the road, right? Um, which Carolina hasn't necessarily done the past several games, but boy, did they in this one. And so you're like, you know, this Wake Forest offense is explosive. So if you can get a two score lead, that is great. Ball's at the 50 yard line. Drake May knows, man, I got a dude on the outside in Antoine Green, and I just want to get the ball up to him. And that's exactly what he does. Um, so just lofts the ball up, gives it enough air for his incredibly talented receiver to go up and make a play. And so Antoine Green is basically entangled with the D-back, um, who <laughs> doesn't really turn around, um, which, you know, not how you're taught to play in the secondary. But Antoine Green, they're embroiled together, and Green just elevates and high points the ball beautiful catch comes down at the five yard line. Elijah green scoots into the end zone on the very next play, 14, nothing. Um, and so I, I just want to point out both Drake may's trust in his receiver to make this play and Antoine green's just ridiculous abilities on the outside. We we've heard it said like Sam Howe tweeted earlier this season, Antoine green is an NFL wide receiver. And this is a great example of exactly why he said that helping his team, make a huge play to set up what becomes now a two-score game. By the way, you probably are aware, but Antoine Green did get lit up later in the game, coming across the middle, made a great catch, and um, the, the player was ejected for targeting the, the Wake Forest defender, um, but just got Antoine Green had to come out for the rest of the game. Um, we're waiting to see the status update for the Georgia Tech game this weekend. Depending on when you're watching or listening to this, you might already know. Um, but as of the time I've, I'm recording, we don't know anything yet. So keep your eyes out on that. And obviously we'll talk about it this week. Thankfully for the Tar Heels, they got a great stable of receivers, but it was noticeable um, Green's absence the rest of the game. Well, typically at this point on the football recap show, we prepare to go to the three players of the game. I actually want to do something different today. That's right. We're switching it up, but we're still going to do the shady stat of the game at the end as well. So I'm going to inter uh, introduce you to what that is going to be right after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by Nissan. This, th this week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by Nissan. The thrilling designs behind the new lineup from Nissan are intended to empower drivers in vehicles as capable as the drivers themselves. When I think of unbelie unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moment, it has to be that interception we just talked about from Cam Kelly. At Wake is driving, there's under five minutes, and you're thinking, boy, this game might be over or at least to the point where Carolina is down eight. 
You, you don't love it. Cam Kelly gets this pick. Huge pass plays. We talked about the downs. And then Noah Burnett comes through. He hadn't had to kick a ton this season on field goals because of all that, uh, all the touchdowns in the red zone. But, man, comes through and does his job. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's, Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available right now at NissanUSA.com. So I received a question on Twitter on Sunday night from Ron Chung at Chung 2055 on Twitter. And I thought this question was an incredibly valuable question for us to think about and talk about today. And so I wanted to talk about it in this space. And so Ron says this, Isaac, what do you think the strategy is for the Tar Heel football team for the next couple of games? Win one of two or try to win both? And I know this might seem like, well, of course you try to win both, but that might not be quite so obvious as it seems on the surface. And so what I want to do is say, first off, this is a great question to ask. What is the strategy in this type of moment where you've clinched a spot in the ACC championship game, but you still got two regular season games? What do you do? Well, what I want to do is make both arguments for us and then say what I think I would do if I was in Mac Brown's shoes. I'm really curious to hear what you would do if you were the head coach of the Tar Heels and you were preparing for, uh, l- let me remind you, the two remaining regular season games this coming Saturday versus Georgia Tech at Keenan, and then the Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving versus NC State, again, in Keenan Stadium. So your final two regular season games are at home. So you've got these two options. Number one, conserve for the ACC championship game. Number two, do your best to win both and play it out as normal. So we're going to start with the conservative mode. Um, let, let me make the argument for it. First off, Carolina's a bit banged up right now. Clearly, Josh Downs was in and out of this game. Hopefully, it, it's not much more than just the cramping he was experiencing. But you don't know. You don't know, as we just talked about, about Antoine Green's status. And while um, the the rest of the receiving core, you know, Gavin Blackwell is in for him. They took some shots to Blackwell, um, incomplete downfield. I believe there were two different ones. Very close, very close. But it's just not Antoine Green. Um, Cedric Gray has been banged up. We obviously know the defensive line is down several guys for the season. That's going to be true whether you wait uh, to to play them or not. Drake May keeps taking all these hits. Do you maybe consider giving Chriswell a couple reps? Um, do you give Omarion Hampton and George Petaway some more time to, and, and give uh, Elijah Green a little bit of rest? What what do you do here? All of these things, you're, if, if and when you're banged up, that can be helpful to, to get some healing. And, and part of this argument would be, you know what? You're not going to make the college football playoff, even if you go undefeated, even if you beat Clemson. So let's put all our eggs in the ACC championship basket, even if it ultimately would affect our bowl destination. In this argument, the ACC championship victory would be more prestigious and historic than whatever bowl game you go to, even if it's a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, it, I kind of think of it like clinching the division in baseball with a few more games or a week or two to go. You can still play for the best record in your league and have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, but perhaps being healthy and rested is a more important um, enterprise. Plus, 
when we're thinking about the the prestige of an ACC championship, the last time North Carolina won the ACC was 1980, over four decades ago. At that point, there were only seven teams in the conference. So in some ways, the, the conference championship notoriety for the school is bigger and better and longer lasting. Not to mention that Clemson is looking a little bit vulnerable this year. And so maybe this is your shot to go get them. There's no guarantees you beat Clemson, but being wise between now and then certainly helps your cause. So do you really even need to play to beat Georgia Tech and NC State? You want to, but maybe you're not going as all out as you otherwise would. So that's the argument for the more conservative approach. Let's put all our eggs in the ACC championship basket. Argument number two. This is the win both, keep on going, keep driving argument. And here's what I would say for this one. While you've already made the ACC championship game, you're guaranteed there are bigger things potentially ahead for you if you just keep winning these final three games, the two regular season games, Georgia Tech, NC State, and you beat Clemson. Because um, here, here's probably the biggest thing ahead. Again, I, I do not think that Carolina as an ACC champion – a one-loss ACC champion is going to make the CFP this season. Looking at the teams in front of them, it, it just doesn't seem... Honestly, I don't even think Clemson would make the CFP at this point if they won the ACC. That's just where things are at this season. But you are very much looking at the possibility of a New Year's Six Bowl if you win both of these regular season games and beat Clemson. And so that is the thing still in front of you that you have to play for that could be more prestigious to you potentially a bigger financial payout than would be just putting all your eggs in the ACC championship basket. But making it there doesn't happen to a New Year's Six Bowl if you don't take care of Georgia Tech and if you don't take care of your bitter rival in NC State. So both these games are at home. You wrap up the season well. You do everything you can to beat Georgia Tech this week and then beat NC State on Thanksgiving week. Plus, you owe them a great, great revenge from what happened last year. And then you take care of Clemson. Once again, you're not going to make the CFP. But if, if you're a 12 and one major conference champion, you're going to get an invite to one of the biggest bowls in all of the land. So, so finish this strong and do it. That, that would be my argument for option two. Man, you've still got, and you're smarting from that, that Orange Bowl appearance you had where you were several guys sat out and you just, you just didn't have it. This might be an opportunity to do bigger and better things on that same stage and make a New Year's Six Bowl kind of in two out of the last three years. That's that's all potentially in front of you. So if it's me, if I'm Mac Brown, I'm going with option two. I absolutely hear the argument of option one of putting all your eggs in the ACC championship basket. But you can take some of that sentiment and still apply it while working to win this Georgia Tech and NC State game. And frankly, not to mention, if you take care of business the way you should against Georgia Tech, the line is like 20 and a half right now. Take care of business in the first half against Georgia Tech and then rest your starters in the second half if, if that's what you need to do. Um, the other thing I would say, though, is do not rush any of these players back unnecessarily. Like if Antoine Green is not right in the head from what happened on Saturday, there's no reason for him to play either for long-term season things or long-term health things for that matter. And so um, I'm going with option two. I want to beat 
Georgia Tech. I want to beat NC State and then still do everything I can to beat um, to beat Clemson in the ACC championship, even if what I did in those two regular season games makes that a little more potentially difficult and doesn't allow us to be quite as healthy. I'm curious again to hear your opinion. What would you do if you were Coach Mac Brown in this situation? Let me know. Let me finish by the shady stat of the game. We got to get those sunglasses on. Bada bing, bada boom. I want to give you one more Josh Downs nugget, and this is straight from North Carolina, but I thought it was so um, historically great. In the past three games, Josh Downs has 37 receptions, 11 a couple weeks ago against Pitt, 15 against Virginia, and then 11 this past weekend versus Wake Forest. That, friends, is an ACC record for the most receptions in a three-game period. He passes Irvin Phillips of Syracuse, who had 36 back in 2017. Josh Downs, an ACC record holder for receptions over a three-game span. Way to go, Josh Downs. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to preview the Gardner-Webb basketball game. Speaking of which, I also did a full show today on reviewing the basketball game from last Friday. Make sure you check that out. Thanks so much for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast. Biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, and of course, the take of the day. It's available on YouTube, the Odyssey app, or anywhere else you get podcasts. Hope you have a great Monday because it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace.